the human body is under no obligation to make sense to you. That's its own universe. I mean, we know so little about the body, it's not even funny. And what we do know is usually completely freaking wrong because we see that all the time. So that's how I look at the body is it's doing stuff for a reason and for a purpose. And it doesn't care whether Perry understands why it's doing it or not, or whether your double blind research study systemic review understands anything. It's like, maybe one day you'll catch up. Maybe you won't. Welcome back to another episode of the Becoming Fully Human podcast. My name is Cam, and today's episode is featuring the great Dr. Perry Nicholson, aka the Lymph Doc. Many people know Perry for his incredible work around the lymphatic system, but we actually don't get into the lymphatics until nearly an hour into this episode. Perry is one of the great thinkers of our time his curiosity and the way that he engages with information is really what i think makes him so special today's episode we do a deep dive into a bunch of different topics including uh, what drives some people's capacity to change using devices to take away pain how useful diagnoses are how every systems in the body are connected uh, what rabbit hole Perry is currently diving down and much, much more. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. I will link to Perry's courses and social media and how you can get in touch with him in the show notes. And yeah, I really hope you enjoy. Recording this podcast has been one of my favorites to date. Talking to Perry was truly an honor and I'm sure you're going to take a lot away from this. So welcome. It's an honor. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Um, so I wanted to start with the concept of stop chasing pain, what it's all about, but I thought even maybe a step back from that, what is pain? <laughs> how many hours do you have? How many <laughs> days, how many months, how many years? Honestly, that's something that medicine and science and researching is, is trying to chase every single day. And it's changing every day, honestly. But mm-hmm. let me start off with how I define pain. Yeah. Right? To me, pain pain is a request for change. Mm-hmm. So I want you to think about that for a minute. The, a request is a very powerful word. That's your body asking you to change something. And then people ask me at that point, change what? And my answer is yes, that's the answer. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. I just know it needs to be something different than you're doing now. Very often it's something that, not necessarily that you need to start doing, but something you should stop doing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and one thing you can stop doing is is how you view pain. It's hard to do when you're in it because we've all been in it and you're all going to be in it. Pain is part of the human condition, but life would be miserable without pain, honestly, because you got nothing to compare it to, right? But it, it's always protection is not punishment. That's a big reframe. But when you're deep in the quicksand and you're drowning and you can't breathe, it's hard to feel that way. But uh, protecting you from what? Well, one, things can be way worse than they are. 
Trust me. If you don't think so, you haven't been on this planet long enough. <laughs> so you really need to at least be grateful for what you have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, pain is also subjective, mm-hmm. which means it's different for everyone. It depends on your life story and your environment and your prior experience with pain or what somebody tells you pain means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Totally. And so there's no objectivity to pain. There's no way that two people are going to experience a stimulus the same way. I mean, look no further than childbirth. You know, there's cultures that experience no pain in childbirth, but there's such a cultural narrative around the story of this is going to be the most painful thing you experience. And then. Yeah, it's all about, you know, you kind of get what you expect Mm -hmm. sort of deal. Yeah, it, it really ties into things that they talk about in neuroscience and pain science and medicine called the placebo effect and the nocebo effect. Yeah. Some of you may have heard of that, but some may most likely have heard of placebo, not necessarily nocebo, which I think is actually more powerful. But placebo basically means that if you think you feel better, you feel better. <laughs> and you may not know any reason why. And some people say to me, Doc, isn't your stuff just a placebo effect? And I heard a professor once say, I sure freaking hope so. Well, because it's the dream. It's the dream. It, it, it plays a huge role in your healing because if you don't think you're going to get better, your chances are pretty much nil. Yeah. Because C- your, your cells of your body are always listening to how you talk to yourself consciously and subconsciously. Mm-hmm. But so placebo effect is very powerful, but the nocebo effect is even more powerful. That's if you um, have negative language about yourself or about your diagnosis or how someone else talks to you, particularly in the medical community mm-hmm. can make you feel worse. Mm-hmm. Right. A, a good nocebo effect is jumping on Google and typing in your diagnosis name and reading everything that shows up. Mm-hmm. You're going to smother quick. We're jumping a little bit ahead, but since you mentioned the word diagnosis, I thought maybe I'll just ask you now, how useful do you think diagnoses are? How what? How useful do you think a diagnosis is in the well, world? They, that's a good question. What I find is, is that it, it's hard to control something you're not aware of. Mm-hmm. So first you need some awareness of yeah. something uh, because otherwise you don't know what you don't know. You follow? Totally. But then you got to be careful because a lot of times you'll become your diagnosis and you become a label. And then all of a sudden, once somebody tells you what something is, yesterday didn't have symptoms. Now you got all of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Because you're, you're quote unquote supposed to have it. Or you look at your outcomes of uh, treatment interventions and modalities. And then they yeah. throw you into this small little narrow window of, possibilities but mm-hmm. you can have a diet here's the important thing you can be given a diagnosis but you're not going to get to that diagnosis the same way that somebody else is you can have completely different life story pathways of getting to point b mm-hmm. and that also means that just because you have the same diagnosis as someone else does not does not does not mean you get the same treatment program mm-hmm Because it's got to be based on the individual carrying the diagnosis around. You follow? Because it's based on your story. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So in this concept of pain being a request for change, there's a lot of 
devices coming out. I'll avoid saying any name, but I know one's a big bioresonance device. And the, the, the concept and it's spreading like wildfire is taking away your pain. You know, you plug yourself into the device and it emits the frequency. And yeah, I'd love to hear your take on it because I know I feel there's a degree of, of missing the point there for me, for most people, I would say, when it comes to, like you said, not putting a new input in, but taking a step back and unraveling what has brought us to this place of pain, you know, pain is the body communicating as opposed to pain being something that we want taken away from us. What are your thoughts right. on such yeah, devices? Well, I'm going to tell you a phrase I use all the time. Everything works for someone, mm. which means that you can have a device or a tool that's going to work for somebody. Mm-hmm. And you may not have any freaking idea why that is. Mm-hmm. And you can have the same tool that doesn't do anything for someone. Mm-hmm. A lot of it depends on, is it what this particular individual needed at this particular moment in time in their life? Because yesterday it might've worked and today it won't. Why? Mm-hmm. Because your body and your mental state and your nervous system and all the systems in your body are continuously changing every single second in relationship to the environment that you're in. So you got to kind of hit the sweet spot of, is this person ready for something? Mm -hmm. But uh, so I'm going to throw something at you that that's been big in my treatment program is that one reason that people don't get better is they, they do too many things to try to heal themselves at once. Mm which means that you're overloading a system that doesn't have the capacity to change with what you're doing to it because you're overloading the system that's already overloaded. Because one of the reasons that you're sick is you've overloaded the system. Mm -hmm. And then the system usually will push back hard or shut down in relationship to that. Right. So you can't just bulldoze into everything because it's supposed, I see that with energy work all the time. And everything is about energy. So when you say bioresonance and energy, it's a big yes for me because I think of the body not from a chemical standpoint, but from a physics and electricity standpoint, Mm -hmm. because that's what it is. And uh, so you can throw a lot of energy at a system, but does the system have the capacity to absorb it? Mm. And I know it doesn't have a good capacity to absorb it because you're already sick. You understand? course yeah so that's when you have to tiptoe in and one of the biggest things that helps people get better is i say stop doing so many things at once and then it's about the dosage Mm -hmm. then more isn't better better is better just because 15 minutes in a sauna is going to work great doesn't mean you do 45 no 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 Mm -hmm. but we don't think that way in the western culture we supersize everything Right. Speaking of, yeah, speaking of sauna, I was in the sauna the other day chatting to someone who's got a bunch of disc issues and he had he was explaining that he, of how many things he was doing, you know, going the Western medical route, going the alternative route, doing all these different things. And what it made sense to me, I mean, then even now, but it seems to be what you're saying, too, in terms of the placebo, even if you think alone of remove yourself from the fact that yes, things do work, but even from a placebo standpoint, if you're doing a million things, you don't really believe in any of them, do you? Yeah. Well, that's a great, great point, right? I mean, how you view the world, your perception of the world changes your entire physiology. Mm -hmm. And it's all about perception. Mm -hmm. So you, you and I can look at the same event 
That event makes you smile and laugh. That event makes me curl into a ball and cry. Mm -hmm. What's the difference? Well, it's not the event. It's the interpretation of the event via your brain and your nervous system based on the stories that you're telling yourself on the prior stories that you told yourself. So you get caught in this vicious loop. And that's how your nervous system and your immune system learn and adapt. They adapt to their environment and to the stories that you've said before. Mm -hmm. So they'll write there and they'll just immediately go back to a prior story because that's easier. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of metabolic energy for your brain to do different things, to, to change course. Yeah. And so what it does is it says, that's just way too metabolically expensive for me to change a habit. How about you just keep doing what you have been doing? That's way easier. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't even have enough energy to change, even when they want to. So they can't. So I'm talking about metabolic energy. Right? Mm, totally. I mean, that it's, was the next yeah. question. This is something, this is like in the realm of health and healing. This is the most fascinating question to me. And I've asked, no one so far has had an answer. So I'm maybe more of a conversation about it, but okay, what- Okay, well, let's see. I'm actually yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe you're a clear channel today. What is that spark that drives someone to alchemize their pain into purpose? What is the the drive behind change? Because I know, you know, people come from, from nothing and they have no resources and their parents never gave them the tools and they have the spark and they turn that pain- you know, into purpose. And then there's other people that seem to have all the resources and all the time and all the, and they don't, they, they, they dwell in that victimhood. Like what is it? Is it fate? Is it karma? Is it because it's, there's, there seems to be a degree of, of will that is required, but it's not, it doesn't come out of suffering because the suffering, you know, like, I know you're like, you just explained there is there is um the unknown is is a scary place and so we tend to repeat our patterns because they're familiar mm-hmm. as opposed to stepping into the unknown right. but what is that thing that spark that says to someone you know now's the time that's a really good question that's like a uh, get to the top of the mountain and ask the wizard the meaning of life question <laughs> you're not the wizard <laughs> <laughs> well i can tell you from my perspective uh, yeah. of things right one of the f- one of the things that does instill change is suffering of some type. Because yeah. if you're comfortable, why in the hell are you going to change? Because you're comfortable. Right? But everybody's got that scale of what that suffering is. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you can become so immobilized that you can't even when you want to. So that's something where you you fall back on where your nervous system actually shuts down as a survival mechanism. Mm. It's called a freeze response. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that happens when you have, I'm going to go kind of deep here a little bit. You've got parts of your nervous system called your sympathetic nervous system and your parasympathetic nervous system. So the sympathetic is a fight or flight, do everything that you need to, to not die. And that's always on and it rules the road because it's hard to heal when you're dead. You understand? Mm -hmm. And then you've got the parasympathetic, which is the opposite side, which tells you to relax, you whine, you chill. And then that's the healing and growth mode because you can't heal and grow when you're trying to survive. It's two different things. So you can get caught in the survival mode and you're just stuck there and you just do a circle, a loop, right? 
But you can get to a point where another survival tactic that you see in the wild is that you just freeze and immobilize yourself and you pull away from the world and you're hoping that whatever is out there moves along and disappears and leaves you alone. Mm, yeah. But you can't control that. That That's not a conscious choice. It just happens, mm -hmm. right? And, and then you should be able to snap out of that if you have a nervous system that's uh, balanced and regulated and not what they call maladapted. Maladapted doesn't mean broken. It just means it's adapted to survival mm -hmm. and protection. And it keeps you there. Why? Because it's kept you alive doing that so far. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. The concept that you're never actually broken. It's kind of the same with like a slow metabolism. It's always doing what's best to help you based on the inputs that it's had. Yeah. And you have to, you have to take away the, the terms good and bad habits. There's no such thing. There's only yeah. useful habits. Mm. Good and bad is cultural. It's storytelling. Good to you is bad to me. Mm -hmm. So the brain and the body only do things that are useful mm -hmm. and bad habits can be useful. If you, if you frame it as a bad habit, because it is getting you something in that moment. That's why it's doing it. And I go back to the same question. Why does it keep repeating it? Well, because it worked before and it's metabolically less expensive to keep repeating that habit. Mm -hmm. And if you say to yourself, that doesn't make any difference. Well, I can't be getting something out of this suffering because I want to get out of it. Like, I don't care if you consciously think you're not getting anything out of it. Subconsciously, you are. Yeah. You don't know what it is, mm -hmm. but it's something that's there because uncertainty and not knowing is the biggest stressor to the human nervous system. So I've had people stay in a toxic relationships or an illness because it's better the devil that you know than you don't know because it's more terrifying to let go of what you're in because you don't know what's beyond the wall I've what's in there. the cave yeah. what's in the cave could be a bigger dragon mm -hmm. right so you run back to it so one of the things that that you you need to change okay to to get that is purpose is not enough mm -hmm. you have to have meaning something behind it, a meaning for that. And I can't tell you what that meaning is, but we get meaning through stories. We don't get meaning through facts. Like I could sit and tell you 5 billion facts about your diagnosis, but it doesn't mean it's going to instill you to do anything different until you change the story you're telling yourself because that's where the meaning comes from. Mm. You understand? Yeah. That's the narrative. That's mm. the narrative. That's why one of the things that I have people do is write as part of their healing journey, because your brain works differently when you write things down as opposed to when you think. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Um, flipping it around to like, that's the self-healing, right? This reminds me a lot of when trying to help other people heal from their pain, right? That's another thing. Instead of dealing with our own stuff, it's very easy to see people in our lives that are suffering, that are experiencing pain in their own way. And the response is typically like, let me see what I can do to help you to, to push you along, to, to make you get better. And that force it, for me, I mean, it, it reinforces the freeze, right? Because it's like, it reinforces that they need to do something different, that it's not safe out there, that it's not okay. And they're getting all these inputs surely from many people in their lives. And in my experience, what's helped people the most is actually to just to listen and to be with them without trying to change them at all. Do you think that that's uh, perhaps a spark in the other person so that they can feel safe enough to come out of the freeze? Yes, absolutely. Well, there's a big power in just 
closing your mouth and listening to somebody. Yeah. Right. And showing some empathy or having a big part of healing, which is community and connection, because the humans feel really alone right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All you have to do is look around the earth and you can feel it mm-hmm. and you can see it. Right. And uh, it's really, really difficult when you're in a form of isolation because we're hardwired to fit into a group you know, a tribe, if you will, I like the word uh, community. That's why we fight so hard to stay in it and not get kicked out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, because it, it, a lot of this stuff is so deeply programmed in you for survival because your, your nervous system and your brain has changed very little over the hundreds of thousands of years that we've been here. And it knows that, Oh, I Perry, don't push the limit here, man, because you're going to be outside the group. And if you're outside the group, you can die mm-hmm. because when you're out on the, you know, in the woods before we had you know, modern civilization, if you were kicked out of the tribe, your chances of survival were nil, mm-hmm. but that's how you learn to fit in too. That's what, that's what culture is. That's what society is, but you can also lose yourself in that. Because then you conform and you say things that you don't necessarily believe because you don't want to be kicked out. All you got to do is look at social media and you can see that proven right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that that idea of getting kicked out, I think, too, is at that root of like if someone is experiencing pain and you come at them with solutions instead of the listening really subtly. But for me, it's quite obvious what you're telling them is who you are is not going to work for me. You need to be this healed version of yourself or this better version of yourself so that I can accept you. And so there is that play of rejection too, of like giving someone advice is actually rejecting who they are, reinforcing the freeze, probably reinforcing how what got them sick in the first place or experiencing pain in the first place, as opposed to like the unwinding of like, I can accept you and giving them then permission to unwind accepting them as a part of the tribe is like this mo- extremely healing yeah yeah well it's hard for these things that your body is holding on to to let go because many of these the majority if not all of these protective patterns that it's holding on to are subconsciously driven yeah like you don't know that it's doing it or you don't understand well now I'm t- you can understand why it's doing it now because i'm telling you because it's trying to protect you Mm-hmm. And then you say, protect you from what? And I say, well, I can't tell you that until I know a little bit more about your story. But stop chasing pain basically means that it, it first of all, it doesn't mean stop treating it. Mm. it. It means stop chasing it. And that means that where everybody points their finger, that's the only place you treat. That's mistake number one. Because mm-hmm. just pain is usually where something ended up, not where it started. Pain is the last thing you feel, not the first. Right? Because your body is trying to do everything on its own to have you not experience pain. Mm-hmm. It's been compensating and adapting. It's been changing your blood chemistry. It's been changing uh, what they call fascial tension, changing the way that you breathe, changing the way that you move, altering your joints ever so slightly all the time, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, until it can't do it anymore. And then when it can't do it anymore, it tells you, dude, I can't do this anymore on my own. I need your help. And how, what's one way that I can let you know that's really effective? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to hurt you. Here it comes. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to hurt you a lot. 
because I don't want to punish you, but let's see if you get the hint. Mm -hmm. And then we usually don't get it because we ignore it and we say maybe it'll go away or we cover it up and we numb it so it's not bothering us anymore. And then the body says, okay, I'll go back to it. I'll do the best I can until all of a sudden it really hits you. And one, it can hit you in the same spot really, really bad, or it just chooses another spot. And then it's like a it's a, it's like a pinball machine going in and all over the place like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I know that somebody has chronic pain, I know there's years and years of compensation and protection and layers of your body working to help you not to get better. I'll start where it hurts. Mm-hmm. One, because you expect me to. And I'm showing empathy that I'm listening. Doc, my knee hurts. Okay, I'm going to take a look at the knee. And then I ask, well, what have you been doing to it? I've done this, 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 this. I've had this, this, this done to the knee. And then I'm like, okay, well, then I'm not going to do any of that stuff. Because if it's what you needed, guess what? You wouldn't be standing in front of me asking me to look at your knee. So then I'm going to look. People say, well, where do you look? Well, everywhere else is where I look. Mm. (laughs) Right? Did you grow up with um, a holistic lens on on healing and health? What or at what point, since I'm going to assume most most people don't. And at what point did you kind of take start taking steps back to see the bigger picture? Yeah, no, I didn't look holistically at all. I was just straightforward, like everybody else kind of looks at things, you know, you know, get the medical approach, you know, pills, pain, rest, ice, whatever. Um And uh, what turned my view around was what we tiptoed on in before rock bottom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like there comes a point in time where you got to rescue yourself because nobody should care more about you than you. And when you do that, you realize that most people that you've been dealing with up to that point have zero clue what they're doing, Mm -hmm. which should scare the hell out of you. Right. Because I tell people all the time, just because somebody's got something hanging on their wall doesn't mean they know how to think. That means they know how to pass the test, but doesn't mean they know how to think. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a lot of experts that know less and less about more and more because they just look at one thing and get really good at it. And you forget there's a lot of other things that you need to look at. So that's the key, man, because if you're doing the same thing over and over and you're getting the same results, stop doing it. Then you have to think out. I don't even have boxes anymore because I don't want to put myself in one. You have to think and look at things that nobody else is looking at mm-hmm. or try to take things and see if you connect can connect them together because nobody else is connecting them together. And that's what I've devoted my life to. That's why I go and I get so excited and I get so passionate because you can, if you just taught, first of all, that you can do that, the awareness of it. Mm-hmm. And then you start to look for things. So I started to look for the things that people told me were crazy or impossible. Because that's the only way you're going to find something new mm-hmm. is to look outside the different. And when you do that, everybody's going to tell you you're out of your mind and you don't know what you're doing because you're looking at the different. Well, brother, that's the path I'm on all damn day, all the time. I, you know, I'll look at that other path because I like to learn. Mm-hmm. But then what I'm doing is, is I'm trying to connect it to this crazy path that I'm over here. And that's how I was able to heal myself. It, it's a it's a thought process. So I tell people all the time now is that, listen, you're not coming in to see me for my fancy tools or my techniques or all these things that I do, because most people do them too. What you're coming to see me for is how I think. Mm -hmm. 
because that's how I'm going to try to put the puzzle piece together of your individual body parts that you're carrying around. Because the tools and the techniques are only as good as the person behind them and how that person thinks. And that was where Stop Chasing Pain from came from. Start where it hurts and then look everywhere else, which is, listen, that's terrifying. Because hey, nothing is more terrifying than the idea of unlimited possibilities. Mm -hmm. But guess what? That's what it is when it comes to your body, because it can be any combination of things that changes, right? But you have to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that's what I teach. That's how I teach people to begin to look at that uh, thinking process, which I'll be happy to go over a little bit if we have mm -hmm. time. But I know it works because yeah. I was terrifying. able to help myself. Terrifying and inspiring. I think that's, it's such a vital thing to look at in a practitioner. And that's what, I, one of the things I love about you is like the unknown is, is like exciting, right? There's a, there's like a, like a, the curiosity of the unknown for certain people. I know I have it too. It's it, to me, it excites me. And I know for some people it doesn't, but I guess that's where we seek guidance from people who want to take the lead of, and, and be excited by the possibility of, of everything really. Yeah, well, I have to tell you that, um, you know, one of the things that helped me discover all of these things was, is that I, I started to uh, take on only really difficult, extremely hard to fix cases. Mm. Like you don't come to see me when your pain first starts. You go to because sometimes that regular approach works. Mm -hmm. it, it does work for most people. Right. Especially if you have like a, like it's maybe sometime a traumatic onset, like I hit you with a baseball bat, then you need help and then you get better. Right. But it's the illnesses that are really taking out people now, which is the chronic disease, autoimmune stuff that we're just lost in. Mm -hmm. right? So I'm usually the last one that you see. And it's been great for my learning process because I already know they've checked all of your test results. They've had every x-ray, MRI, blood work. You've seen every specialist, blah, 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 blah. And you're not any better. And I'm like, okay, well, I know that's not something serious where maybe you have cancer and that's why your back hurts and you got to get that fixed. And you might have something that only can heal from surgical intervention, right? But you see me afterwards. That's how then I'm like, okay, let me think differently than everybody else. You know how exciting that is? That is so much fun to do. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to put and interplay the different systems of the body, the body systems, as opposed to just going after the one system that you've been diagnosed with a problem with or the one area that you've been problem. So what I mean by systems, I'll, I'll cover this really quickly because we may yeah. be jumping ahead. Yeah. Most people have your musculoskeletal system, right? Muscles and joints and fascia and ligaments. Okay, great. That's just one. Then you have your immune system and you have your nervous system and you have your lymphatic system. You also have your emotional system, which I call it its own individual system, digestive system. And what we do in, in uh, Western medicine approach is we go after individual systems. And I'm like, that's great, but guess what? They don't work individually. They all work together. Mm -hmm. So very often people are going after the wrong system just because the system has symptoms. That doesn't mean anything. You'll start there, but you have to look at them all. So my phrase that I tell everybody is that no system in the body ever works alone, never gets injured alone, never heals alone. 
There's no such thing as an isolated injury in the body. There's no such thing as isolated healing. It's all or nothing. All hands on deck until you check out. That's it. But we don't look at it that way. And I got news for you. Your body doesn't even know what the hell a system is. Your body doesn't know what has an immune system or lymphatic system. Humans gave it that name. I love that. It doesn't care. <laughs> whether you understand why it's doing what it's doing. So here's another one of my favorite phrases. I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson once on an interview. He's that, you know, astronomer, yeah. astrophysicist. And he said that the universe is under no obligation to make sense to you. And I said, boom, big. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take that. I'm going to change it up a little bit because the human body is under no obligation to make sense to you. That's its own universe. I mean, we know so little about the body. It's not even funny. And what we do know is usually completely freaking wrong because we see that all the time. So that's how I look at the body is it's doing stuff for a reason and for a purpose. And it doesn't care whether Perry understands why it's doing it or not, or whether your double blind research study systemic review understands anything. It's like, maybe one day you'll catch up, maybe you won't. But then what you reframe it, and I think to myself, what's the number one goal of the body? Survival. Bingo. Not be dead. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. When you understand that's the goal, then you understand the plays it's doing to accomplish the goal. Right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's not playing by your rules of what you expect to happen based on studying an individual cell in a Petri dish in a lab, because that's not anywhere near the same. Mm -hmm. If you take a cell out of a dish and you put it into a human being with trillions of other cells, that cell changes completely how it behaves. Mm -hmm. And here's the kicker. I can take the same cell and put it into a different human being and it behaves completely different from the other human being it was in. Why? Different human being, yeah. different story, different mental processes, different perceptions, different fears, right? So that's how you have to look at things. You can start there. I mean, we need to understand how cells work, right? But then you need to look at the bigger picture, mm -hmm. the bigger picture. And that's what we don't do. And we're, we're still looking at the illnesses of today through that lens. And that's why we're all dying. Yeah, it's a perfect time to touch. I, I wanted to talk to you about this because you've shared um, your experience posting and writing on, on platforms, social media, and getting a really reactive response from the audience, a lot of um, trolls and whatnot, and then shifting your intention and the way that you post things and now getting no hate. And I've, I've pondered this quite a bit because I speak about a lot of controversial things. Um, I speak my mind, you know, be it vaccines or whatever else, very polarizing politics topics. And I get no hate. And although mm -hmm. I speak about polarizing things, I know my intention is curiosity and connection and compassion and and sparking conversations to get people to reconnect and heal and grow it's there is no real desire to have conflict and as a result of my intention I get no conflict so mm. how did yeah what's been your experience in shifting that and and maybe you can talk a little bit about yeah the power of like energy and intention in affecting outcomes that's a very good observation and uh excellent point I, I 
I went back and looked over some of my earlier social media posts from years back. And when I was reading, I'm, I'm saying to myself, oh, my goodness, I actually said that or wrote that. And I could I could feel and sense the in, intention behind it, mm-hmm. which was actually from confrontation and anger right from the post itself. Right. Because I think that I was holding on to anger and resentment or expecting confrontation from something. So basically you're manifesting what you're looking for in a way. And I think a part of that was because I, I wasn't embracing my, my true self. I know we hear that a lot, but coming at things from my own unique uh, story perspective and being okay with that. Right. Because mm-hmm. uh, most of my life I grew up with uh Wanting to be anybody but Perry. I wanted to be somebody else. Because when when I was myself, that's when I had uh, all the pain, all the discomfort. I got bullied. I got picked on. I'm like, okay, well, I'm just not going to be me. I'm going to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. So then I would put up this kind of a, a, a wall, if you will. And, oh, my goodness, I was getting such pushback on everything. And then now I see why. <laughs> and what it took me to flip that part also was hitting a form of rock bottom and having to rescue myself and realize that okay this this is the lesson you needed to take from this when i came back and i i came back and then i started to post more uh authentically with myself and intention and i chose i chose my words carefully um because it, it makes a, such a huge difference how you use language in relationship to b- your own healing process but somebody else's interpretation of what you're doing because words change um physiology mm. language changes physiology so then i basically I, you could say that maybe i finally embraced loving myself enough to write like i wanted to and i think it wasn't anger at other people i was just subconsciously angry at myself because i couldn't i wasn't being myself mm-hmm. oh you know? Yeah, always the mirror of what you think, you know, what you believe about the other typically is really more all about. Yeah, and I had to be okay with, listen, not everybody's going to get it. Not everybody's going to like you or or love you. Uh, And listen, you know, I'm 56 years old and I've been fighting this, you know, self-acceptance, self-love since I was a kid, right? So it's always something that's going on. Yeah. But I, I also... Here's a big thing. Most people don't have good uh, self-awareness, body awareness of of how their body feels Mm -hmm. inside and out, but mostly inside It's called interoception. That's the, the feeling of feeling inside of your body. We're pretty much just numb and we only feel things usually when it hurts. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. So there's the attention getter. And what I noticed when I was sick was this. I was reading something that uh, like a troll hater will, if you if you will, said something. And I started to formulate my reply, right? And then I realized, oh my goodness, I'm feeling increase in my symptoms. My eyes became really burning. They started to water. My mouth became dry. 
had a sensation of like a little headache coming on, but you know, my pain, pains that I was feeling increased. Mm-hmm. And then I said, isn't that interesting that all I'm doing is reading this and formulating a reply. And this is what's happening. And I said, you've got to choose a different response because it's all up to me. So then I, I just started doing this in the beginning where I would just swipe delete. Like I would look at it and then I would just delete the comment. And then all of a sudden I'm like, it's gone. You just, you just kind of let it go. Right. As opposed to holding on to that, because that's the thing that humans hold on to these stretches and they can't let go, which in nature, they just let stuff go. But then I also realized that when I would hit a reply, I was stressed all day because I got caught in this loop of waiting for their reply. And then I'm going to get them back on there. So there was no, no connection or coming together at all. Cause basically I was coming at something to try to prove somebody wrong. They were trying to, to prove that they're right and I'm wrong. And then that's no way that you can meet it in the middle. Right. Mm-hmm. So I just started with that to let it go. And I started to feel better. My sickness began to improve. That was the component of my thinking process, my mental state, and how I chose to react to something. Then once I started to get strong enough, then I could actually start to formulate a reply to that person. And then I would do something that was crazy where I would say, thank you very much for your feedback. Mm-hmm. And I'd send it. And, you know, I was like, okay, this is great, right? And then all of a sudden what happened is a year later, I hardly got anything Mm -hmm. that started to show up in my my universe at all because I just wasn't giving it the attention that it, that I was giving it, right? It's just the awareness of, you can't become aware of something until you're aware of it. You understand? Like there it is. It's like all of a sudden, if you choose to look at red cars, you see a billion red cars all over the place. They just show up. And yeah. so I just decided, what am I going to focus on? Then that showed up more into my life. Yeah, definitely. Like seeing pain too as an echo, right? Where we're like, if you get too attached to them making you feel a certain way, well, someone made them feel a certain way and they pass it on to you. And it kind of like, it it becomes this really, this opportunity for deep empowerment. We're like, I'm going to stop this echo and if he wants to bounce it off elsewhere, but you also have then the possibility to send out, like you said, even just a thank you for your response or some type of empathy where maybe it might even stop them from then echoing their triggers onto the rest of the world. And really it can be quite healing. Yeah. Plus I love to learn. And I realized that, you know, if I'm not learning anything when I just immediately shut somebody else down or discount it or try to prove that 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 I'm right. Mm-hmm. So I it was a great book somewhere. I, I think the title was I'm right and you're wrong. Now what? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, if I've proven that, I, well, I don't get anything out of it. Mm-hmm. So I love I, I'm, I'm gonna yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to it's like a tug of war. I'm trying to pull you over my line as opposed to both coming towards the middle because maybe I'll learn something new I didn't know and I'm a little less stupid. Yeah. I love the quote too. Do you, would you rather be right or married? (laughs) Yeah, right. There you go. (laughs) But you know, a lot of that in the world today, people are so polarized that nobody gives you an opportunity to um, do so. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And that's just a, a something of becoming more wisdom and a better teacher overall, I think. It's just to become a better listener. Mm-hmm. So you can learn some things. You just have to get your own ego out of the way, mm-hmm. which is not easy to do. No, especially going back to that self-preservation, right? There's so much about quieting the ego. The ego is, is, is not, like you said, there's no good or bad. The purpose of the ego is survival, self-preservation, awareness of everything, filtering everything. But when it takes over too much, then yeah, it can be its own demise. Yeah. Plus it's just learning something from a different perspective because um, if you only learn from people that you agree with, you know, I think it just makes you dumber. Mm -hmm. Like you just, because you're losing a perspective on something else that maybe that that's what a person needs, for instance, uh, along their healing journey or their treatment journey. So you also have to be to say, And I'll tell this to all my clients. I don't know if I'm going to be able to help you, but if I can't, I'll tell you that, but I'm going to send you to somebody I think can Mm. once I start working with you and treating with you. So I have a a thing with my program where I'm looking for a significant change on somebody within four sessions. If I don't have a significant change in something for you of how you're feeling or you want to heal within four sessions, then I tell you, I'm not going to be the one to help you. Because this should happen that quick. Mm. Doesn't mean I'm going to completely get you to where you need to be or you're going to get there. But at least that I know if I've done everything from my perspective and everything is exactly the same, by four visits, I'm going to figure it out. Mm. So then you can be on that that journey because, you know, health is not a destination. I mean, it's it's a journey. So it's not an end point to it. It happens all the time. And that's when I usually have my um, my treatment approach that I do to people to go and look through their systems um, together. Based on your personality and curiosity and always connecting dots, what rabbit hole have you gone down lately? Or what's like that thing that's exciting you that maybe you haven't fully understood yet? Is there anything that's what's exciting you at the moment in like the realm of connecting Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, Well, it's something that I've been into for quite a long time, but I've even more fascinated with it, which is blood flow Mm. in general. Yeah. So, you know, basically blood's sort of maybe kind of a little important because if you don't have it, you're, you're dead pretty quick. (laughs) And then it's the quality of the blood. Mm. Is, Is it too thick? Is it too thin? Right. Because you can have blood that's too viscous, too thick. Uh, one, because you're dehydrated. So that's one of the fundamental questions that I ask people is, uh, do you drink water? Mm-hmm. And if so, what type? And what what else are you drinking? Because if you're dehydrated, nothing's going to work. Mm. And if it does, it ain't going to work for long. But your blood ain't going to work well if you're dehydrated because it's 50% water. Right? And uh, thick blood doesn't move that well. Mm-hmm. And blood transports what? Pretty much everything you need to not be dead. Oxygen, nutrients, glucose. But they're big. Your proteins are transported through there too, right? Mm-hmm. So that's everything that your cells need to stay alive, 
make new cells and heal ones that have been damaged. That's it. So that's the supply chain of life. Mm -hmm. And then once you look at the blood supply chain, you realize that there's blood flow into something. That's the oxygen and nutrients. And then once your cells use that and make energy, which is called healing, recovery, regeneration, longevity, then it makes waste because it creates energy and energy creates waste. And then now the waste has got to get out. Then how does the waste get out? Well, it gets out through fluid too. Mm. It gets out through the veins part right, and through the lymphatics. Mm. So they connect together. And here's what I'm finding. Anybody who has a chronic pain or chronic illness has a fluid flow problem, blood flow problem, mm -hmm. in and out, because you can't have a problem one way and not the other. And it's not just where the pain is. I'm going to say that again. Mm -hmm. It's not just where the pain is. You have to look at the entire flow system. That's so exciting to me. For instance, I'm going to give you an example. A lot of people have pain in their, let's say, their right knee, right? So then I'm going to ask, okay, well, where does the blood flow to your right knee have to come from? And then you should probably say your heart. Then when it comes from your heart, it has to go down through your abdomen in what's called your aorta. And then it splits to go down your right leg and your left leg. So you have to look at the supply chain from that all the way down. And then you have to look at the supply chain of, okay, well, where does the blood flow and waste from the, from the knee go? Well, it goes up back to your heart, but after, after it goes up and dumps into the lymphatics at the collarbone. Mm -hmm. So the, it just reverses its course. Mm. So in my world, um, you know, I, I look at your knee, but I don't treat your knee first. What I do is I look at the supply chain to and from the knee first. Then I treat that. Mm. Because I know this much. If you can't get the stuff to the knee and out of the knee, it ain't going to get better no matter what you do to it. So you have to look at the bigger picture. That is what fascinates the hell out of me right now. It's just something that we take for granted on blood. Because yeah. we take a blood test and we assume that it shows it's normal, whatever the hell that means anyway in medicine. It's an arbitrary spectrum of numbers. Because yesterday you're okay and then today you're not. What's up with that? Like why, why just a split moment in time? And why if it's six, I'm good. And if it's seven, I'm sick. Mm -hmm. on a number right but it's more than that i'm gonna have to connect you he's a dear friend of mine and <clears throat> i think you guys are going to be new best friends because he's also obsessed with the blood and the relationship even with breathing and how breathing dysfunction affects blood chemistry mm. and I mean, I don't even think I'll try going there with you because it's way above my my level, but he nerds out on this stuff too. And he's really into systems and how everything interplays and connects. He's got a, a like a, it's called an N3 database and it spits out the relationship between everything, all the systems. He's 
yeah i'll have nice to well i like them already yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah i'll have to connect you with rob you guys i would love to actually be a fly on the wall in you guys chat um i'd be remiss not to talk a little bit about the lymphatic system since you went there people you know know you as a lymph doc and and so much wisdom around that yeah. of course they can take your course but let's just maybe touch on a few little things i thought what the lymphatic system and what it is, people can really look into that, but what isn't the lymphatic system? Like what are some things or misconceptions that people have about the lymphatic system? What is it? Is it not? Yeah. So first of all, I'm really happy that people are starting to actually learn about it and pay attention to it, you know, because I've been doing limp for uh, years and years because it was one of the primary things that, you know, helped restore my health. And it was kind of like the, the missing ingredient for stuff that I've been looking for for over 30 years. And, you know, I would say lymph and people go, lymph, what? What are you talking about? And they still do that today, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, but here's the biggest thing I see with lymph system. It's what we alluded to before. When people work with lymph, they're only working with lymph. Mm -hmm. They only go after the lymph. And I'm like, you do realize that it works with all the other systems, right? So you're never just doing a lymphatic system treatment ever because with the lymphatics always travels blood and nerves with it. Mm -hmm. It's called a neuro lymphovascular bundle. I'm going to break that down. Neuro means nerve. Lympho means lymph. Vascular means blood flow in and out. And they bundle together. They always work together. You have a problem with one. You got a problem with all of them, every single one, right? So the biggest mistake is that everybody just works the lymph and they forget how to look at the other systems in relationship to the lymph. Mm -hmm. And the other one is people typically look at lymphatics as, as only an issue when you have lymphedema. Mm -hmm. So lymphedema is where something may have caused your lymphatic system to become dysfunctional. Sometimes you're born with it. It's called primary lymphedema that's genetic. Other times it's secondary lymphedema, which is acquired through surgeries or through cancer or through radiation or, or and stuff like that, or through infection. And then body parts become abnormally swollen because it can't eliminate the fluid. So then people say you have to take a look at your lymphatic system. But now that they're finding through research that it is really a uh, factor in a lot of other different illnesses and conditions. For instance, big contributor to obesity, big contributor to glaucoma, Crohn's disease, right? And so the reason that they're finding that now, and also, honestly, in the brain, mm. uh, neurodegenerative disorders like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, mm, those. System. Yeah. So what's the common denominator of all those things? I'm going to tell you what it is. Inflammation. Mm. Every single one of those things is caused by inflammation. But the diagnosis is different for everybody, but mm -hmm. the cause is still the same inflammation because inflammation can manifest anywhere, any, in any way that it likes in an individual or it cannot. And the lymphatic system, its job is to remove inflammation, right? Or metabolic waste, cellular waste. When cells die or cells get injured, they get out through the lymphatic system or they don't. And guess what? If they don't, where do they stay? Inside of you and you become more toxic. Right. Right. And you have more waste in your system and your immune system says, uh-oh, 
This stuff ain't supposed to be here. So then your immune system kicks into protection mode. The immune system is supposed to protect you and heal you. But it protects you first because it's hard to heal you if you're dead, right? So it gets stuck in a protection mode. And one of the protection modes is what? Inflammation. Mm. <laughs> so it keeps laying down inflammation on type of inflammation because you haven't helped get rid of the underlying inflammation that's already there. Right. So the lymphatic system is the primary component of your immune system. It scans through what's called lymph nodes. Lymph nodes are basically mini toilets throughout your system. You got about 600 to 700 mini toilets, and they're supposed, supposed to flush out viruses, bacteria, parasites, cancer cells, fungus, you know, metabolic waste, you name it. All the crap you don't want inside of you, you need to get out. It's supposed to go through that. But they're like little barcode scanners which when something comes into the lymph node, it gets scanned and then it tells your immune system what it is. And then it sends out the appropriate response to that node after node, after node, after node. That's why you can have, this is really, really important. That's why you can have a problem with a lymph node far removed from where your pain is that's mm -hmm. causing the problem. So you can have pain in your right shoulder and you think it's a lymph node in your right shoulder. And I'm going to say that's a good place to start, but it can come from all the other ones too. All right. So that's why you have to check all the lymph node channels in the body. There is no such thing as an isolated lymphatic work in my world at all because it doesn't exist. Mm. The whole thing works together as a functional unit. Mm -hmm. So it's also part of your cardiovascular system or your vascular system because it dumps into the veins where I told you before at the collarbone. So if you have a lymphatic system problem, you will have a vein problem. Mm. And that's where 70 to 80% of your blood resides in the veins. If you have a vein problem, you have a lymph problem. You have both. So people that have vascular circulation issues will have low oxygen. If you have low oxygen, you will have pain somewhere. Mm -hmm. Pain and oxygen always go together. So many people are in chronic pain because the blood's too thick, the lymphatic system's stagnated, and they can't get oxygen to the tissue and they can't get waste out. And if you don't take care of that, I don't care what kind of supplement you take in your mouth or what kind of breathing technique you do, it ain't going to work mm -hmm. because your toilets are stuck. Mm -hmm. You got to unclog your toilets. And then people say, how do you do that? And I'm like, well, how do you unclog the toilet in your house? You get in there and you move it by hand, right? Mm -hmm. You plunge it, you snake it, you, you, you change pressure to move it. That's mm -hmm. exactly what you do with lymphatic work. And you do that via these things called your hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a perfect, I mean, you your teachings on manual lymphatic drainage have rocked my world. Like, I mean, people that you've spoken about it in a lot of other places. So maybe we don't even have to go there, but if going to the right places and the right um, order and before doing like a dry brush is really waking up in the right order, all these lymphatic mm. drainage points. Um, incredible. I posted a Q&A box for people to um, ask That's any solid. questions. Yeah, they might have for you. And this is really quite related actually also to a question I have. Her question being that she's had lymphatic drainage massages weekly for years. Huge difference. It helped a lot. As Good. soon as she stopped, liquid retention came back and is as bad as ever. So 
is there an underlying issue that the massage was covering up? And is it okay to do them weekly to remove the lymph fluid? Yeah. So that's a great question. What I'll preface to say is really difficult to give individual advice, but I want you to think about this logically, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> Getting lymphatic massages is awesome because you know I'd rather you get the stuff out than keep it inside of you, mm-hmm. right? Better out than in. And most people don't do any type of direct work for their lymphatic system, right? But and I'll answer that question in a moment. Two things move your lymph mm-hmm. primarily, how you breathe, and movement. So moving yourself moves your lymph and breathing moves your lymph, particularly through your diaphragm. Cause it, why? Cause it changes pressure and pressures move fluids, but sometimes those are not enough and people just don't do them a lot. Mm-hmm. Sometimes your toilets are so backed up. You got to go in there and do it by hand. Mm-hmm. And that's where you need the massages. And listen, your lymphatic system is supposed to swell up. And you're supposed to get puffy and you're supposed to get swollen. You're just not supposed to stay that way. Mm-hmm. You want it puffy and swollen because I would like that immune system to kill those bad bugs. Thank you very much. So if it keeps coming back, then you have to ask yourself, why are my lymph nodes coming back? What, well, what is your lymphatic system part of? Your immune system. So there is some underlying issue in your body that you're missing. It could be an underlying uh, fungal infection like candida, which it probably is. It could be dysbiosis in the gut. Not enough good bacteria, not enough bad bacteria, because 70 to 80% of your immune system lives in your gut. Most of your lymph lives in your gut. So if you have altered gut bacteria or leaky gut syndrome, you're going to have a lymphatic problem, period. And until you heal your gut, you're going to have a lymph issue. But here's the thing. You can't heal your gut until you work your lymph first. You can't heal your gut until you work your lymph first. So work your lymph and then go back and start to do some of your gut restoration programs because maybe that's what it is. Maybe you have an underlying virus mm-hmm. like uh, Epstein-Barr, for instance. That's a big one. Could be an underlying uh, HPV virus, herpes virus. Most humans have all three. Mm-hmm. Right? And why? Because that's kicking off your immune system to go into uh, gear. Or maybe you, it's doubt that you have lymphedema because lymphedema usually only settles in certain regions, like a leg or, or arm. Um, if it's full body puffiness and swelling, it's not lymphedema mm-hmm. that you got. But sometimes it could be more of a venous vein system issue too, because mm-hmm. you can have fluid backflow because you have issues with, with the veins of the body, Remember, because mm-hmm. they, they both go together. So it could be a number of things is basically what I'm trying to tell you. But if you keep going after the limp and the limp keeps coming back, there's something that's driving it. And then you need to dig a little bit deeper. But first you want to go after the, the gut. Right. So a question I had, which you kind of answered, but without insane, I just will let you, you can answer it again, basically with when is it a bad time to dry brush or get, is there, is there a, not a good time? Is there a time you shouldn't be doing manual lymphatic drainage or, or the dry brushing? Well, when you're in the middle of an active infection with a high fever and your immune system is trying to kill stuff, mm-hmm. just leave it alone and let it do its thing. Mm-hmm. Right? You, you just back off. If you have a localized infection on something, 
that's red, hot, like really getting to you. You don't mm -hmm. want to do localized lymph work on that. I'll still work the lymph system in other places. I just won't necessarily work where it is. Mm -hmm. I'll work above it. I'll work above it because that just depends on how the drainage pathways works, which we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. You don't want to do it when you are going through chemotherapy, radiation, and you're taking that kind of stuff. And the the cancer one is kind of up for debate a little bit because it really just depends on where you are on this earth and what society you're in as to whether they'll say you can do it or not. Because mm. <laughs> right? there's some uh, countries or medical approaches where they say no. And there's other ones where it's actually part of their treatment regimen to work the lymphatics to heal you from the cancer. Interesting. Yeah. Right? So I usually, in that case, I tell everybody, it's best that you defer to your treating oncologist of your treatment program with that one. Okay. Because it, it can make a big difference on where you are in your spectrum, what type of cancer you got, you know, what kind of treatments that you're taking, all sorts of different things, all sorts of different things. You've, um, you've dabbled with neurokinetic therapy. Am I correct? Oh, yeah. I was one of the first ones to do it. And I started their first workshop in New York many, many years ago. Yeah. My partner's actually been following you much longer than I have. And he's a practitioner in neurokinetic yeah. therapy. And he knew that about you. And so you are familiar with muscle checking. Kinesiology, do you ever use that as a part of um, yes. your investigation tools? Big time. But I don't do it until I do lymphatic work first. Okay, cool. Um my friend who I'll have to, you like, there's no doubt you guys have to connect. He's explored lymphatics being one of my weak points, I think, which is why I'm so fascinated with it. And um, yeah, there's this, like, there was been this knowing, I guess, for a long time, because whenever things come out about the lymph, I'm like, Ooh, yes, I need to know. And then through, you know, muscle checking and kinesiology, it's showed up as big weakness of my constitution. Mm -hmm. um, he found emotional shock stored in my lymphatic system. Um, what's been your experience with, with, yeah, things like shock being stored in lymph, which of course the nervous system, um, you've explained, I mean, it's all connected. So how, yeah. how what's been your experience with, with emotions and, and lymphatics? Emotions are always involved in chronic pain. That's why you're a human being, not a rock, whether you're ready to accept it or not. That's just a matter of time. Usually when you're at rock bottom and nothing's helped, then you'll come to embrace what I'm talking about. So you can frou frou it all you want. No, no pun intended. Rock bottom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Until you're on, until you're at a moment where you're broken. Yeah. Your mind opens up. Sometimes what it takes, mm -hmm. right? But yeah. So there's always an emotional component to everything. How much? That just depends on the individual. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you'll hold the emotional trauma and shock in the tissues. It can be held anywhere, mm -hmm. honestly. But the biggest place that I find it is in your abdomen. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So I learned uh, from osteopathic medicine from uh, a gentleman named Dr. Fulford, who said that emotional trauma and shock is held uh, in the abdominal celiac plexus in the gut brain. And we have a lot of lymph and lymph nodes. That's where your lymph sits. Your largest lymph node in the body sits about three to two to three inches above your abdomen in your gut. Well, that's no freaking accident, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where most of your blood flow goes to. The three biggest places that you need blood flow are brain, gut, kidneys, those three. Those are going to take priority for anything. And most people don't have good blood flow to the brain because they're so tight and tense in, in the traps and the neck 
and the drain point for the collarbone that you choke blood flow in and blood flow out to the brain. And then they have uh, the vagus nerve issues. Some people may have heard of the vagus nerve, which is the cranial nerve number 10. That's a brainstem nerve that is uh, designed to put you into a healing response for your parasympathetic nervous system. And it controls the inflammatory response in the whole body. And it controls blood flow to the gut. So if you have vagus nerve issue, you get poor blood flow to the gut. If you got poor blood flow to the gut and leaky gut, guess what? You ain't getting better. Mm. And then you got your kidneys. And the kidneys are the water organ. And guess what? The kidneys take all the end product from the lymph once it goes back to your blood. Okay. Because the lymph goes back into the blood system. It just doesn't call it's not called lymph anymore. It turns into plasma. Right. What connection is there i know when i dry brush in the sauna and by the way i mean since learning your work i'm rubbing my collarbone all day long there you go <laughs> all day long the back there of you go. Throat, the points i'm it's it's, it's like, nice it's a lifestyle um but what is that link between sweating and dry brushing and getting the lymphatics moving because I, I swear that when i dry brush in the sauna i sweat so much faster yeah. So one, I mean, you're basically opening up your pores a little bit more because you're moving across the, the pores of the body, mm -hmm. but your skin is a, most of your lymph is located in the skin too. The lymph is located primarily in three places. The gut's number one, the skin is a big one and the neck is the third. Mm -hmm. So you've got about six to 700 lymph nodes. There are many toilets in your body. One third's from the neck up. Mm -hmm. So I want you to think about that for a reason. Why in the hell would your body put one third of the lymph nodes from the neck up? Well, I don't, yeah. Think about it on your own and you use a heap of common sense. Well, probably because it needs to drain this lovely thing called the brain. Mm. <laughs> right? So if your lymph nodes in your neck are clogged up, you're going to influence inflammation in the brain. And then that influences what? Your perception of pain. How? How? Well, because pain is in the brain, right? So they tell you that pain is in the brain. Pain is an output signal from the brain, not an input signal. So stimulus comes in, but the pain is only an output signal because of how you think about it and the response to it. Mm -hmm. So that's what neuronal connections, neurons, wiring and firing, synapsing, stories that you're telling yourself, bing, 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 bing. Right. Oh, yeah. So the brain is the most metabolically active tissue in the whole body, which means what? It makes a ton of waste. Every time a neuron fires, it makes waste. And that waste has to get out. How does it get out? Through the veins and the lymph. That's how it gets out. Through the cerebrospinal fluid, which is a conduit, a medium. What happens if it doesn't get out? You get inflammation. And that changes what? How you wire and fire. It mm. changes your metabolic energy. It changes your pain. So this is what I'm trying to tell you. Maybe you can't change your habits and behaviors because your brain is stuck in repeat mode and you're too tired and fatigued and lethargic to change even when you want to because you can't because you have too much inflammation in there and you can't change even when you want to. Mm. So let me ask you a question. Maybe if you worked your lymphatic system and the blood flow in your body, 
and got the waste to drain from your brain, you could wire and fire more efficiently. So now you can change your habits. Now you can change your behavior. Now you get the energy that you need to, to change a habit. That's why I tell you in my world, nothing, nothing, nothing comes before lymphatic work in my world. I love it. That input output thing reminds me of, I mean, I learned a lot of different things. It was actually in psychology class in university of, you know, the man steps on a nail in his boot and he gets rushed to the hospital. He's excruciating pain and they get there and they remove the boot, you know, and it didn't even penetrate his foot. But the perception and the stories he had about what it would mean for the nail to penetrate his foot generated very real pain. And so I love that is like, maybe even people as a, as a practice can, while they dry brush, while they do the manual lymphatic drainage, while they, you know, they learn, they can learn from you how to do it properly. They can also with curiosity, wonder what, you know, what things in my life am I perceiving to be painful? What, what is the proverbial nail, you know, Mm -hmm. that are causing me pain while they're doing the lymph, of course, because that's kind of the starting point of, moving things out so that they can even have the clarity or the capacity to see another option, right? To take a different path, to create a new neural pathway. Um, So yeah, maybe pairing those two things is do the manual lymphatic drainage and with curiosity, um, exploring the possibilities that your perception and what things you think in your life are causing you pain may actually be a big story that needs some unraveling. Yeah, I agree with that a thousand percent. Yeah. You know, you can use that mental processes while you're doing your lymphatic work, mm-hmm. you know? So we hold such tightness and tension in the abdomen all the time. One, because it's postural, mm-hmm. because people sit and then they slump, mm-hmm. right? So they tuck their pelvis underneath themselves and they tighten the entire abdominal complex. And they curl forward like a human cashew nut. And then you're, tra- you're trapping what? Well, guess what, guys? That's where your primary blood flow pipes sit. Right there. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you can you can choke them off. And also in your abdominal region, you hold the inner the you hold the lower energetic chakras, the lower three chakras, the root chakra, the sacral chakra below the navel. And then you've got the solar plexus, the celiac plexus, right? And then uh um, what's his name? Joe Dispenza and his work tells you that the lower three chakras are survival chakras. So they're going to, you can't change the ones higher up until you clear the lower ones. That's why I usually will do some type of abdominal work on people. And if I've gone and look around the abdomen, people get very emotional. They, they have withdrawal responses. When I place my hand, just lightly place my hand there. That's showing there's some type of, vulnerability or inflammation in that region. And sometimes when I'm working in there, I even tell them that it's okay. If it happens, they physically cry. Mm-hmm. Stuff comes out. Mm-hmm. Right. But then here's what, here's what I want you to think too. This is pretty cool. So we say that the body is concerned about safety and protection, right? Mm-hmm. So what's one of the, the postures that we take when we want to protect ourselves and we can't flee and we can't run. So if you can't run away and you can't flee and you want to protect yourself, what position do you get into? I mean, a little ball. 
there you go. You, you curl up like a little centipede, right? One of those things are like this. You curl up into a ball and you protect what? The whole front of your body. Yeah, your vital organs, your heart. your Yeah, vital is the key. Yeah. And so you protect your, your hands go over your so you can put your eyes, your nose, your lips. You'll even go to the ears like this. You look at fighters in the ring. If they're starting to lose, they do this until they can plan their attack. Mm -hmm. Then they're curling to protect the heart, to protect the organs and protect the groin. Mm -hmm. So your nervous system's already telling you right there where the most important stuff lives. Because it protects it first. The, the front, right? Because mm -hmm. that's where you gather most of your sensory input from the world, mm -hmm. right there, right? And then it exposes what? The whole backside. Mm. Where do most people have musculoskeletal pain? Yeah. On the backside. Of course. Of course they do. And mm -hmm. then where do they treat? The backside. <laughs> that's great, but you better go to the front is what I'm telling you because you're going to find an answer in there. Mm -hmm. And then when you curl forward into a ball, Where's the greatest pinpoint place of tension when I'm you curl guessing, into a ball? I'm guessing lower back. In the front. Oh, in the front? I mean, your gut? Yes. Mm. So if you curl forward into a big tight ball, it's like taking, if you're watching the video, it's like taking your hands and you curl your fingers forward right. to make a fist. Mm -hmm. The knuckles take the greatest amount of force and tension because that's what I'm going to strike you with. Right. right. But that's the same thing in your abdomen. Mm. Right. Guess where that is. Emotional and trauma shock point. Mm. And if you want to talk about it from a Western medicine perspective, it's the greatest place of fascial, fascial and muscular tension is in the center of that abdomen. Yeah. And when you have tight tissue, you choke off what? Oxygen. Fluid flow. Um, Thank you very much. Yes. So you're back to what I told you before. Yeah. You're choking off flow. Mm -hmm. And when you choke off flow from that excess tension, you develop a condition that John Sarno talked about in his book um, when he mentioned about back, low back pain being primarily emotional driven mm -hmm. from anger and rage are the two biggest emotions. He has a term called TMS, tension myoneural or myositis, myoneural or myositis syndrome. What does that mean? Tension means tension. Myo means muscle. Neural means nerve. Itis means inflammation. Syndrome means you can get it wherever the hell you want. Mm. Excess tension decreases fluid flow, which decreases oxygen and causes what? Pain. Mm. Pain. Pain where? Yes, is the answer. Wherever. Anywhere it wants. Mm. And where does the blood flow to your back come from? The aorta in the front. Mm. So in my world, it means this. I don't treat your back until I treat your blood flow point in the front. Mm. Because if I treat the back, I'm trying to get blood flow to the back, right? Well, that comes from the front. What if it's blocked in the front? Can't get to the back. So if I'm treating the swelling and inflammation in the back, where does that got to go? To the front and ultimately where? You should be pointing right now to your collarbone. Mm. 
course. So that I go right back to what I told you before is I treat the front first. Mm-hmm. So in my work, I've, this is the biggest thing that I've discovered in my years. It's not just what you do. It's when you do it and where you do it first that matters. Yeah. If I treat your back first and I treat your stomach second, that's nowhere near the same as treating your stomach first and your back second. They're the same two things, but the results are completely different. Oh, I've been. Because it's the okay, order that you do it in. Yeah, I'd been dry brushing for years until I started waking up the points in the order that you explained, starting at the collarbone, the back of the um, yeah, big six method, right? Life changing. Like yeah. it, it was like I I was high after, and then I dry brushed and I did a little bit of rebounding, and it was like nothing I'd ever experienced, and I'd been dry brushing for years. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. So you, you that's that's it's one of the biggest discoveries that I've done, and that's based on a something called dynamical systems theory. And basically that means that a nice way of saying that is that what you did before what you just did changes what you get. Mm-hmm. Like once you do some input, there's an output. And then that input changes the output. Mm-hmm. So it's when you flip things around, even though they're the same two things, if you do them in different order, you're, your nervous system, your emotions, your physiology completely changes. I mean, I can't tell you how exciting that is. And what, what, what I mean by that is that sometimes people can have low back pain. And if I treat your lower back and then I treat your abdomen, you're like, ah, it feels pretty good. But then if I treat your abdomen and then treat your back, you tell me, I don't know what you just did, but I feel a hundred times better. And I'm like, what? I don't, I don't get that. Well, now I just told you why. So that's where you really have to take into account the person that you're working with and then where you feel you might want to go with which changes for everyone. But I'm going to give you kind of a, an easy way to do it. Always treat the front first before you do the, mm-hmm. before you do the back. And the dry brushing one is really important too, is that you know, all dry brushing is going to work because you're always moving length, but mm-hmm. you can do it more efficiently and more effectively when you do the six regions that I teach people to do called the big six method. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you can go back and you can do some of the full body dry brushing. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Perry. I I'm so grateful for your time and wisdom. It's really been such an honor um, having a conversation with you. And thank you. Just, it was fun. Yeah. Thanks for all the work you're doing. It's really inspiring. And I, yeah, I look forward to keep, seeing where you go with everything because it, the way you think and and interact with the world is really what is most i think magnetic about you oh thank you that is so very kind i'm grateful yeah yeah i'll have a t- 2023 we're gonna have some really uh great new courses coming on out and then uh, the ones we have been teaching over the years that uh, people want me to keep teaching so we will do it mm-hmm. yeah thank you so much thank you Thank you.